Welcome to Hastings Outdoors, your podcast for hunting, fishing, conservation, and more. Straight from the Mississippi Flyway to your hearts. Let's go! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Hastings Outdoors. I am your host, Andrew, coming to you not live in any way, shape, or or form from uh, the garage where dreams are made, the dream building garage, my garage, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Come on in, kick your feet up, relax, uh, make yourself comfortable, enjoy the show. Um, oh my gosh, that's that's a really good way to start off a podcast, guys. There's a cricket that has somehow, somehow made its way into the dream building garage and uh i'm I'm only assuming is attempting to serenade me with its cricket chirps but uh unfortunately for the cricket it's having the opposite effect and it's it's driving me insane Uh, oh so now now you're gonna get quiet i start talking about you now everyone's gonna think I'm, i'm making it up all right have it your way anywho so if you guys hear some uh sounds of nature in the background a nice little cricket chirp here there um well that's why and to be honest with you i don't feel like chasing them down there's a lot of a lot of stuff in here so all right anywho let's dive on in so i had i had made plans to um research this topic uh that i wanted to talk about uh and i i did some some brief research i didn't really have enough time and actually, there was one day where I just didn't have enough uh, energy uh, to really focus on the research. Um, so, that being said, um, that's kind of not my style anyway. I, I like to speak from experience, and I like to uh, tell you about the things I'm doing, the things I'm trying, um, and and really just have a, have have a conversation, a one way conversation, really, but just just talk about stuff I'm doing. Not so much about me, but the, the things I love, the things I enjoy and the things I like to do as far as the outdoors go. And, uh, um, who knows, maybe, maybe I should research it and get it all nice and polished, but, um, we'll see. Uh, quite frankly, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to invest the time into doing that, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, just because, you know, like everything's about balance. Uh, if I, if I spend more time doing that, that means I, I'm spending less time doing something else. And, um, who knows, maybe in the future I can free up some time to make time for that. But as of right now, uh, time is a, is at a premium. So yeah, anywho, moving right on. I like to start with the updates on projects. There are no projects. <laughs> um, the, if you guys have listened to previous episodes, uh, I still need to um, get my decoys rigged up on the Texas rigs, and I still need to get the blind out once uh, once more before. I mean, I guess I could do it but when I install the blind uh, for season uh, before early teal opens here, but um, I, I want to use some of that Rust-Oleum camouflage paint to uh, blend stuff in, hide some hide edges, and just give it a little bit more depth. Uh, but, uh, that's not too huge of a project. I've, uh, I, I, fortunately, I, I mentioned this in the last episode, 
but fortunately guys i was i try to be super proactive with my projects and i got a lot of stuff knocked off my list and uh i spent quite a bit of time this summer uh, just busting stuff out left and right as best i could and uh it's it's kind of nice now to have have most of my list complete uh there's other little things that i don't consider projects but season preparation uh that i need to get done and uh Part of season preparation, um, practicing my calls, practicing shooting. I, 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 I here in the very near future, uh, depending on when the FedEx man arrives, I will have uh, uh, more ammunition that I purchased from Rogers Sporting Goods to use for practice. It's just a uh, federal target load. I don't know if there's a specific name for it, but uh, um, Rogers Sporting Goods had a, Sporting Goods has ha, has had whatever at the time when i purchased it they had a really good deal going on uh the last i knew they still have really good sales going on right now i was able to purchase uh 250 rounds of their of the federal target load uh two and three quarter inch shell 12 gauge i think there's uh, the shot size is seven or eight somewhere around there I, I when it comes to the target load i don't really pay too much attention to it they're usually sevens or eights in the ballpark and uh so when FedEx shows up with that, I will have all I need to uh, get out there and, and shoot some more clays. Um, man, I the other day I don't. I, I I've shot a few times here and there uh, with this Franke. Obviously, I, I patterned it. That's in a another previous episode. Uh, I think it's a win for the home team, and so, I don't know. I can't remember, guys. But um, I did pattern it. I got I got that nailed down, and fortunately. Uh, uh, fortunately for me, it is, it is a win for the home team because the federal speed shock that I was testing, uh, along with the Winchester, uh, super X boy, I just lost the name of that pretty hard. I think it's the super X or expert high, high velocity, expert high velocity. That's it. Uh, size two shot three inch. I was, uh, comparing those two and, um, the speed shock actually, uh, did well through every single choke um so not to bore you with details on that because like i said that is is also in another podcast but um so I've, I've been shooting this gun uh i've probably got oh in the ballpark of a hundred and change worth of rounds through it or shells through it and uh it it's great I, i'm i'm tickled with it so if uh if you want to hear more about that, check out the, uh, I think it's uh win for the home team and 400 off or something like that. I think it's that episode, uh, that I talk about this gun, the Franke affinity three waterfowl elite. Um, but yeah, so I ordered, uh, I, I picked up some clays, uh, here recently from a local store, which believe it or not, I, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. I've never, I've never had an issue of, of picking up clay targets locally. Uh, usually, you know, most, most Walmart stores I've been to in the Midwest, uh, they usually have some, some have a lot, some have some, uh, so that's usually never an issue. Um, I, I, I happened to be in there, um, one time and I, I decided to swing by and see if they had something I could pick up and they didn't have any. And that, that was kind of weird. And so I was trying to think of other places to call and I called some local sporting goods stores and, uh. Uh, one place I called, they were they were less than helpful, really, because I I you know I asked the gentleman. I said, you know, do you, do you guys have clay targets available? Oh, clay pigeons? Yeah. 
nope, don't carry him. Which, I mean, hey, it's none of my business because it's not my business. It's literally not my business. Um, but you sell shotguns. You sell, you, you sell pistols. You sell ammunition. Uh, you sell archery equipment. You sell a lot of stuff. Uh, why wouldn't why wouldn't you sell clay targets to go with your shotguns? Or I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it kind of threw me for loop, especially when clay targets are so stinking cheap. You know, it's like the retail to me is about ten bucks a box. <clears throat> so that's ninety. 90 clay pigeons, clay targets, whatever you want to call them for 10 bucks. I think that's a pretty good deal. Um, so I can only imagine what the, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. I can only imagine what a wholesaler or whatever the wholesale price would be on them. Because uh, if the retail on average is around 10, 10 ish dollars a box, the, uh, the wholesaler or um, whatever the, the back end of it, it has to be better than that. Um, Otherwise, no one would sell them. But I don't know. So I called, oh my goodness, I called three or four different stores. I tried to call a another a couple another uh, another couple local shops if I can talk. Goodness gracious. And just trying to track down a box of clays. And uh, my wife was actually, uh, she had to run some errands in, in town. I, I was at home with the family. And... Um, uh, she actually stopped into one, uh, one place that I called because she was pretty much right there and, uh, they ended up having them and it was, it was, I don't know, it was kind of throwing me for a loop. I'd, I'd never had an experience where it was hard to find clays. Usually, I mean, you walk into a sporting goods section of most stores or any, um, a lot of the local stores, the small businesses. And, and it seems like for the most part, you usually trip over them or, or whatever, you know, but Hey. Maybe it's that time of season, maybe or time of season. Maybe that's that. Maybe it's the time of year where uh, people are getting out and getting uh, tuned up for dove and uh, uh, teal and waterfowl in general. Who knows? But um, like I said, once the FedEx man arrives and brings me that sweet ammunition from uh, Rogers Sporting Goods, that that awesome Federal twelve gauge ammunition, uh, then that is another thing on my list to get out there and do. And it's probably not going to happen today. Uh, occasionally, more often than not, I like to give a little a local weather update for the interwebs out there. And today is, it is a nasty day out there. Uh, not weather, not, not inclement weather as far as storms, rain, hail, anything like that. No tornadoes on the horizon, at least that I know of. But, um, the heat index is through the roof. Uh, the high for today is... 93 degrees and uh, the humidity is pretty stinking high, which it's, it's crazy because, you know, you think of, uh, of coastal areas of having a lot of humidity and uh, whatnot like that. And um, I don't know. It, the reason I say that is because I, I knew a gentleman from Florida when I was in college and he, um, uh, he played football uh, as well did I. And, <clears throat> when he came up from Florida for the, uh, the football camp that, uh, this university had, um, uh, before, before actual school starts and all that stuff, it started roughly a month before, uh, the actual school year started was the football camp. And I've got to adjust this mic. So I'm sorry if you guys hear some noise, I'm kind of hunched over and I tweaked my neck somehow and it is no bueno. 
all right i think that'll do better but so uh he lived um i forget precisely where he lived in florida but i wouldn't say that anyway just out of respect and courtesy of his privacy but uh he lived uh pretty close to i believe the gulf side and um it, it, i've never been to florida which i know shocker right but um i understand that with that much water that close to the equator you're bound to have humidity and so he he uh he didn't seem too uh bothered personally or or physically by the humidity but he was absolutely shocked to th- that indiana got so stinking humid and uh, I think a lot of Indiana residents forget that over the winter and through the spring <laughs> that uh, once it warms up, uh, if there's any moisture in the air as far as like uh, precipitation goes uh, or really uh, midsummer anyway, there's going to be a ton of humidity just because uh, Indiana has a ton of agriculture. The county I live in has a ton of, of bodies of water. And so it's 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 a jungle out here, guys. But. Uh, nevertheless, there is always tomorrow. So practice is on the horizon and, um, man, I got, I got to share this with you guys. I, I can't remember which day it was, but the last time I was out practicing, it's been, been, I was probably Saturday afternoon or so. Um, so probably from right now, the time I'm recording this, it'd have been about, oh, four or five days ago, I think four days ago, but. I went out, I uh, just took, uh, I can't remember how many rounds I grabbed, just uh, a few shells and, uh, you know, a fistful of clays and set up old Yeller, the uh, thrower I have. And um, I just decided to, you know, get get a few, uh, few shells down range. And um, man, I don't know what was going on. Uh, it was, I was kind of tired, so... Uh, that's definitely a factor. And um, some kind of wagon just went by. That was weird. But uh, so, you know, I, I I didn't think much of it. I didn't think, you know, be, I, I wasn't that tired. It had been a long day, but, you know, that's that's just life in general if you're a man. Um, and, yeah, I do mean that. If you're a man, get out there, bust your butt. Don't be lazy. Anywho. So I, I started shooting clays and, uh, well, trying to, I should say, and, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't hit to save my life. Now I was using the, uh, the mid range choke that, uh, comes with the Franke affinity three waterfowl elite. It, that gun itself comes with uh, three extended, extended waterfowl style chokes. And I was using the, the mid range and, um, I, I need to do some more research on that see if there's any information in the manual, the user owner's manual or, or the, the user's manual, whatever it may be for the Franke, uh, to really try and nail down the distances that they, they designed those chokes for, because as of right now, I really have no clue. Um, I know they patterned well at the distances I, I patterned them at, but I want to get specific information on the actual details of the distances that they're made for. Uh, so I know how to properly use them. Um, but I had the mid range in and I, I normally, I don't, um, I don't load the goat load. Oh my, load the goat. What's a goat. You got to load the goat in the boat. Anywho, 
I don't load the gun with, uh, obviously I've got the plug in. I, I never took the plug out, but, um, uh, I don't put three, three rounds in it for one clay. Uh, just because if I find myself making, uh, errors, I want to, uh, conserve ammunition instead of trying to chase it and just, I don't know. <clears throat> I feel like if you're making mistakes, there's no need to waste ammunition on your mistakes. Um, and not to, not to sound arrogant or cocky because that's really not who I am. Uh, sometimes I, sometimes I, I've heard I've, I've, uh, come off as cocky or whatever, but, um, that's definitely not who I am. Uh, in certain scenarios, I'm definitely confident, but I, I never intend to be cocky or try to be cocky. I try to stay humble, keep my ego in check, but I, I, I don't like to load it up because unless I'm just shooting for fun with some buddies or something, but, uh, uh, one round, one clay, um, because it, I think it really, really emphasizes the discipline you've got. You literally have one shot to execute what you're trying to accomplish. And so if you, in my opinion, for me, if I put uh, restrictions on myself or if I make it difficult on myself, then you really have to tighten up. You really, there's no room for slacking off. There's no room for, for getting lazy. You have to tighten up and you have to be on your game to make it happen. <clears throat> now, uh, with that mid-range choke-in, I could not hit to save my life. And I, I did fall back on putting a couple extra rounds in there just to see if I could follow my wads to see where my, where the ballpark of where I'm aiming versus where the target is, that kind of thing. Uh, kind of like a tracer. Uh, since I, I mean, really, I'm shooting these things at like 25 ish, 30 yards. So I wanted to try and see where, where that water was traveling. Now I know it's going to catch, catch uh, drag and it's going to move and, and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But for the most part, it'll give you kind of an average idea of where your shot is traveling at short distance. Um, at least that's how I use it. Sometimes I try to, you know, whatever, but, um, yeah, I, I just could not hit and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, because normally with clays, I have, I have a lot of experience shooting clay targets. Uh, most of the time, if there's a clay target around, it's dead. However, I was missing almost every single target. And if I hit one, it was it looked like it was hit with maybe a BB or two uh, where the clay kind of just cracks in the air and like two or three pieces fall to the ground and you're not really pulverizing that clay with the shot. And so I was getting frustrated and that's when it dawned on me, Hey, maybe I'm using the wrong choke. Um, which to me didn't make a whole lot of sense uh, because I don't know from my understanding and I may be way, way off with this guys. But uh, from my understanding, if you're using a choke that's intended for a distance longer than where you are actually shooting, it shouldn't have as much of an effect on the spread of the pattern. See, it's kind of counterintuitive to the concept of a choke in general or how a choke works uh, because um, the choke is essentially to try and keep that shot in a uniform pattern along the uh, shot string and to the target. So when you pattern a shotgun, you, you really, depending on what you're shooting and what you're going for, that kind of thing, 
you want a nice uniform pattern and, and uh, you know, close uh, or no, I, I don't want to say close, tight-ish as possible, depending on the size of the game and, and the application, obviously. But um, I, I was really kind of perplexed because, I was, like I said, I was using that mid-range, which I assumed was, was good for the ballpark of, uh, you know, 30-plus up to about 40-ish. Uh, maybe that might be stretching it. Maybe it's good for about 30-ish yards. I don't know. Like I said, that's why I need to research it. But uh, my assumption was that the mid-range was good for approximately 30 yards. So in my assumption, uh, the clays are reaching their apogee, uh, the, the height of their their uh, flight at uh, from me at about 20 yards, 25 yards, give or take which way the wind's blowing. And um, so that range or that choke should have been more than adequate at that range or so i thought um however maybe i was just missing that bad because my shot pattern was so tight that i was getting sloppy and uh only catching the edge of it uh, of that that pattern and that shot string when i shot that clay i don't know but i did know that i i i decided to switch to the close range to see if that made a difference and um yeah, after that, it was one shot, one clay, and just dust them every single time. So my takeaway from that was that, okay, well, one, I need to figure out what ranges these are good for. And two, I should probably practice more with that mid-range because um, if my theory is correct that I was just uh, hitting these clays on the edge, the ones I did hit, on the edge of my shot string, that means my point of aim is off. And so that means that more practice is needed. Uh, so I don't know more to come on that front. Uh, like I said, I got to research or, or tried to research and find out what ranges those, um, those uh, chokes are, are designed for um, and to see if I'm properly applying them. But uh, it was nice that uh, once I did, I, it was, it was in hindsight, it was kind of like putting training wheels back onto me, or at least it's how I feel about it as of right now, because I don't, I don't have the details yet, but logic suggests, uh, but it was kind of nice to uh, actually dust some clays versus just cracking them and missing about 50%. So like I said, uh, I ordered uh, a lot more ammunition. Uh, oh, I forgot to tell you guys the details on that. Um, if you are looking for uh, target loads for uh, 12 gauge, and I think 20 gauge, um, Roger Sporting Goods is where I bought them. And uh, I actually checked prices locally. And uh, <clears throat> I checked a couple of different websites. I did look into Lucky Gunner. Uh, usually Lucky Gunner has decent prices on bulk ammunition of all kinds, not just shotgun. And I was, I was uh, really just trying to do some research. Research. I was trying to do some research, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't know why I went 70 years old right there. but um, And no offense if you're 70 years old, but sometimes you sound weird. Anywho, um, yeah, run away from that one. Uh, I was trying to do my research and find uh, really the best price. The rest. Can I talk today? Is that, is that okay? Come on, me. Anywho. The best price per shell. And uh, let me see if I can pull this up real quick, see if it's still on sale for you guys. As of this recording, I can't guarantee anything, but I ended up paying um, 
the retail price for Rogers was $99, I think, for 250 rounds of target load, which um, that's a pretty good stinking price. And I will tell you this much, guys. Um, if you, it, you know, say you don't want to order this stuff online, uh, you don't want to wait to have it shipped, uh, whatever, whatever it is. If you just want to run to uh, whatever store, I usually throw Walmart out there because most places have a Walmart, like it or not. I'm not a huge fan of it, but you know what? I can't change it. So um, let me uh, bear with me one moment while I look this up, guys. Uh, I pulled up old Rogers here. Uh, I will say um, just a heads up, guys. Uh, from my experience, the best price I've found on most waterfowl ammunition. So, uh, you know, your heavy steel. Uh, you got uh, teal steel by Kent. Um the Rio, uh, Royal Blue Steel, Heavy Metal, uh, Heavy Hammer. What? Heavy Hammer Dove? I didn't know they made a Heavy Hammer Dove. That seems extraordinarily expensive for Dove ammunition. I'm going to look into that. But um, as far as all, your all-around um, upland and waterfowl ammo, uh, they really do seem to have the best price Uh for that at least right now because they are having uh sales so just a heads up to the homies all right so let's try and find oh there it is right there found it okay so the uh okay federal ammunition 12 gauge two and three quarter inch uh shell size one and an eighth ounce um load 1200 feet per second lead top gun target loads. So this is lead guys. Um, bear that in mind. If you're going out to a, uh, a fish and wildlife area or anything like that, any government owned property, you're most likely going to need a uh, non-toxic shot. So if you're deciding, Hey, I want to use this for uh, squirrels or dove or something like that. Um, check your regulations. Uh, however, uh, back to the details, where's the round? Cap? Okay. So a case of 250, of these guys, Right now on sale, thirty-three percent off, ninety-nine dollars and ninety-nine cents. Uh, for those of, those of you interested in it, uh, if you're uh, a tightwad like me, they have uh, Sezzle, which is a, a, a payment option, uh, and then it says uh, four interest-free payments of twenty-five dollars with Sezzle. Uh, unfortunately, seven and a half is not available, so uh, eight is the only one available. I think that's actually what I ordered. Uh, so that's shot size, guys. Um, but also one cool thing about Rogers that I didn't know until I started shopping at Rogers or until after I started shopping at Rogers for a while. Uh, one of the uh, things that you, um, if, if, if you plan on buying through Rogers, I, and this the guys, I'm not paid for any of this whatsoever, at least not yet. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, if you do plan on buying from Rogers, go ahead and take the extra few seconds to make an account. And the reason I say that is uh, with um, purchasing some decoys and some ammunition and stuff from them and, uh, and just stuff like that in general that I can't get locally. Um, with my quote unquote account, you earn points. And um. Everything I bought from Rogers, uh, at least for this year, has been on sale. And so I've already got a good deal on it. But uh, with the um, 
sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to log into my account to, to pull up the information to give you guys some specifics here. Um, with purchasing the things I have from Rogers, I've, I've accumulated some points and that actually ended up making the price of the ammunition less than the um, listed price even after tax. Now see, uh, there's a big banner right at the top of their website, uh, free shipping on all orders over $99. And so uh, that ammunition qualified, it was $99. And um, with um, with the, the, the listed price of $99.99, and then with, the ta with tax included on that sales tax, uh, I had enough points that I actually dropped my price to $99.22. So a little bit of savings there, um, pretty cool stuff. And uh, you can also save those points up to, uh, to really, um, really make a, a difference on, on your, your purchase price. But anyway, I, I, enough about Rogers, I guess. <laughs> um, I know I got, got on a rabbit hole there, but yeah. So that is on the way and, um, Come on, FedEx man, come early. That's all I gotta say. That'd be that'd be nice. Anywho, so guys, uh, enough ranting and rambling about um, upcoming stuff and and that kind of thing. Uh, the actual topic that I kind of wanted to to hint at or talk about a little bit is uh, duck biology, specifically mallard biology, because um, ducks are pretty crazy. Mallards are pretty crazy animals. Um, I I. I don't want to dive in too much, no pun intended, um, but uh, too far, too deep. Uh, I'm going to kind of do a surface level overview here for you guys and just throw out some interesting facts, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, I guess we'll just take it from there. And, and and with that with that being said, I'll roll right into it. All right. So let's talk about ducks, specifically mallards uh, for the most part. Um yeah, I'm not sure how much overlap there is, but uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff about ducks. And I'm trying to pull up my resources here, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, get my ducks in a row. <laughs> Dad joke for you. Anywho, so one interesting thing about ducks is they have essentially a natural antifreeze system for their feet. I didn't know this and it's kind of crazy. You know, I've often wondered with waterfowl and stuff like that, when they're migrating, you know, the weather's really getting cold. Uh, they're landing on partially frozen lakes, that kind of thing. How, how in the world do they prevent or uh, prevent hypothermia, uh, especially in their feet? I know that, you know, on their belly and the, the rest of their body, they're going to have, uh, feathers that actually can work as an insulation. Um, and I know that they definitely uh, store up uh, energy for migration. And they spend, you know, on colder days, they'll spend a lot more time eating because they're burning those calories. And so approaching the season and the migration, uh, ducks are going to consume a lot more calories than they might have previously. It makes sense. Um, just like an athlete, you know, uh, I forget what it was, but back in the day, Michael Phelps, uh, the, yeah, before all the nonsense happened with him, but, um, 
in some interview or whatever I saw, it was stated that he was consuming like 6,000 some calories a day. And uh, it, quite frankly, guys, that's just how the body works. Uh, the more energy you consume, the more you need to, sorry, the more energy you burn, the more you need to consume so you can burn said energy. Uh, you don't get far on an empty tank. But so, and uh, this information here, at least for the cold feet, I may pull some other stuff off this, uh, this, this little uh, article here. But um, this is from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources, so I guess it's kind of fitting. Um, but do uh, ducks don't get frostbitten feet in the winter. And um, I'll just read you a little bit of information here because I can I can summarize it all day, but it's it's right here. So uh, they avoid they avoid frostbite by having minimal muscles in their feet, which decreases the amount of blood they need. Right, and um, in the in the duck's legs, uh, small blood vessels carrying warm uh, warm blood going to the foot are in very co close contact with similar vessels that carry cold blood coming back up or coming back from the foot. Okay, so they've got warm blood going uh, to the foot, and then uh, the vessels carrying cold blood right next to those going back. Um, and so this says, uh, this this little tidbit here says, because the temperature difference is so great across that small distance, most of the warm uh, blood's body heat is lost during warming the blood going back to the duck's body and uh, and not the icy water that comes in contact with, that it comes in contact with. Thus, the duck's, uh, the duck's foot is cold, but never freezing. Um, so they're not there. It's basically they're conserving body heat because um, that warm blood vessel being close to that return blood vessel uh, that goes back to the heart is the is is actually getting warmed up. So, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, so. Oh, let's see here. Um, one interesting little tidbit here. The duck doesn't mind its feet being cold either because it has uh, nerves less sensitive to heat and cold than humans do. So that's a that's a huge uh, advantage. But yeah. All right. What was another one I thought was interesting? I, I, I don't really feel like talking about this. Just I'm not I'm not squeamish, but um, it's just a weird topic. And I, th I think a lot of people are talking about this. But if you look into a Mallard Drake's reproductive anatomy, it is it's it's just it's odd. Um, a little bit of corkscrew, a little bit of double up. Not sure. But uh, yeah, if you guys are interested in that, just just Google that. Um, and also, uh, apparently, uh, one tidbit I'll, I'll throw out there to uh, kind of, uh, just for, for what it is, but, uh, apparently that, um, procreation amongst, uh, mallards specifically is, uh, usually, um, how do I put this politely? Not consensual, at least from the articles I've seen. And apparently, um, it's, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Not consensual. So the other thing, the, the main topic uh, or the main part of this topic I want to talk about is duck's eyesight. Now, I have heard uh, through several sources that, you know, obviously uh, birds, animals in general, they they all have different eyesight in comparison to humans. It, it, I don't know why that may. I mean, if that's a surprise, you know, well, OK, but um, it seems pretty 
pretty logical, pretty common. You know, your dog doesn't see the same thing, see the same colors you do, that kind of thing. Uh, same with fish, everything. So, um, I really started uh, researching ducks' eyesight uh, to see see if there's anything that I can learn from it to change cha- uh, change the way I hunt, or or uh, if there's anything obvious that I need to fix. Uh, you know, like say, oh well, you've I've got this little piece right here on my blind or something like that. That's that's most likely going to cause uh, flaring issues. So you know, whatever. I was doing research, just trying to trying to uh, study up, make sure I'm giving myself the the best uh, the best possible chance I can. And one interesting article I found was from uh, MeatEater.com. So it, actually, it's TheMeatEater.com. But uh, the article is the truth about duck vision. Now, um, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of mixed opinions on this, um, but I think. Uh, as as far as uh, to what extent their vision, uh, how how good their vision is, or or so on and so forth, but I think uh, in general most most people agree, and most uh, biologists agree that their vision is pretty stinking good, uh, and it only makes sense that their vision is pretty good since they are uh, they are uh, birds, waterfowl that are capable of migrating such great distances at night. Um, and and whatnot you know they i don't know the average altitude of a uh a flock of waterfowl but uh i know that uh, some species of birds can achieve great altitudes whilst uh hunting or even migrating and so it only makes sense that you would have good eyesight i mean like uh a common phrase that you may hurt may may have heard or or whatever especially in the united states is uh you know someone who who saw something quickly or, you know, found something quickly, uh, that kind of thing. You know, you ever heard the, the, the phrase Eagle eye? Well, it's, it's for a reason guys that birds generally have good vision. However, the interesting thing about, or there's a couple interesting, but the, the most interesting thing about, um, uh, waterfowl, Let's see. I just want to make sure this is is specifically is, is if it's just for waterfowl or or in general or just um just uh certain species here. So so no, it, it's pretty much just saying waterfowl in general. Okay, so waterfowl uh, can see the UV spectrum. So now, uh, if you're if you're not familiar with this, I'll, I'll just dive into it, guys. But uh, so our eyes have cones and rods uh, that capture light and and provide us vision. That's our our, our vision is based off of light. Um, so your cone the the cones are responsible for color uh, during the daylight time, and the rods are low light situations, um, to help you out in the dark. Uh, that's, that's how our anatomy works. And I really, it, it translates to uh, most eyeballs that I know of, but, uh, so as humans, we have, uh, three types of cones and, uh, we can see in the red blue spectrum, whereas waterfowl have a fourth type of cone, 
which opens up the ultraviolet spectrum to them. And that changes a lot. And so rather than seeing red, uh, red, green, blue, and the variations like we see, uh, the ducks, uh, their eyesight's based off four colors, where ours is based off of three. And uh, that provides them a lot, uh, I guess, a better advantage um, as far as, as eyesight goes. So how does that impact um, hunting them? Um, you know, I can't, I can't really say, uh, oh, excuse me, but I, um, sorry, you on there guys. I can't really say, uh, what, what the actual impact of them being able to see an ultraviolet is. But one thing I, I do know is that their eyesight is pretty stinking good and, and it has to be, um, so that's why uh you know the emphasis on on staying hidden and uh not moving and not having anything anything you know uh just out of place and trying to get your blind your hide whatever it may be trying to get it as natural as possible or or i mean as natural to us as possible for sure but uh um to me it really emphasizes the need for um adding uh local vegetation to wherever you wherever you're at adding local vegetation and brushing in that blind to give you the best advantage possible because um, since their eyesight is so good, if they pick up on one little thing um, that could be enough to cause them to flare. And uh, if, if you're trying to hunt them, that's not, that's not a good thing. So uh, one interesting study I wanted to point out to just kind of, uh, uh, reemphasize the importance of UV light when it comes to, uh, well, birds and specifically waterfowl. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to figure out where the study took place, guys. Oh, I'm not finding information, but uh, this, uh, well, hang on a second. Let's see if this link helps me here. Okay, so this was actually from uh, Oxford, uh, the ornithological applications page. Uh, doo, doo, doo. And the title of the article is near ultraviolet light reduced sandhill crane collisions by, uh, with power line by 98%. And I'm just going to give you the gist of this guys. Uh, there was a study on UV light with sandhill cranes, uh, sandhill, uh, sandhill cranes on the Platte river were having collisions with a major power line. Um, and this was happening at night. Uh, so what, what they did to try and help this is utilizing, uh, the fact that, uh, these birds can see in the ultraviolet spectrum, they used an ultraviolet light to illuminate the, the area of the power line where these birds were hitting and that dropped these collisions by 98%. So, um, we are at a slight disadvantage that we can't see in the UV spectrum, uh, whereas, um, I guess waterfowl in general, they can, they can see pretty well, um, at least compared to us. So it, it really, I, I guess the takeaway for this for me is really, really put in the effort to make sure that your, um, 
whether it's your camo or your blind or whatever it may be, um, try to uh, hide yourself as best as possible. Stay still. Um, don't don't leave anything um, out of place or anything like that uh, to try and uh, help your your chance of su- uh, success here. And um, obviously avoid certain colors, avoid movement and, and whatnot, and try to make it as natural as possible. It really, you know, I haven't heard this term in a long time, but, uh, you know, you got to be, uh, be part of nature almost, it seems to, uh, to really fit in and hide well. Uh, so yeah, the other thing that, um, uh, on the, on the lines of, uh, waterfowl eyesight and sorry guys, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place here. I feel like, because I'm, I, I, like I said, I, I didn't really have time to research this as much as I wanted to. I found a handful of sources that I, I wanted to use, uh, but I just didn't have time to actually sit down and, and really do any notes or anything like that. So bear with me. But uh, one other thing that uh, I found extremely interesting is that um, out of 12 different species, um, let's see here. Where was the, I just lost the word, guys. I lost the word. Oh, okay. Sorry. They noted, uh, uh, they, uh, see, yep. Okay. There you go. Good to go. All right. Um, out of, there was a study on, um, echo, echo morphology and waterfowl, uh, that explored different foraging modes of 12 different species and how it would create eye morphology. Uh, the study didn't find much, but they noted that all species have a corneal streak that gives them a higher visual acuity in a particular field of their vision. It allows birds to scan the horizon with a portion of their eye uh, that gives them a higher visual acuity. And uh, here on the meteor thing, they said almost like the eye of Mordor. So with that corneal streak, they can essentially scan the horizon uh, better uh, with that adaptation or whatever it is, and also have vision and, and a much greater field than we can. So it, it makes sense that <clears throat> um, if you've ever had birds just just flare on you, that uh, that's probably why. So they they saw something they didn't like, or maybe they're just they're just weary birds. But uh, yeah, it's it, trying to dive into the information of uh, waterfowl eyesight and really studying your prey. I think it's crucial. Uh, it's not. It's not make or break. I mean, I'm sure you can, you can find ways to make it happen without that. But, uh, much like, uh, studying the habits of deer in my, in the past, I, I wanted to try and study waterfowl as much as I could to try and really, you know, like I said, give myself the, the best advantage, uh, so I can understand my prey better to know, um, habits, patterns, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, just kind of crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, guys. Um, one other thing that uh, another little tidbit for people, uh, just a, a PSA out there, a public service announcement. Uh, bread is actually pretty horrible for ducks. So the uh, front back to the Iowa Department of Natural Resources website on uh, why not duck information. Uh, the article is nine cool things you should know about ducks. Um, this is one thing I wanted to throw out there because you do see a lot of people, uh, in parks now, like the, the quote unquote city ducks, they're a little bit different. 
I feel like most of those are, are, are just kind of um, residents of the lake. They're not, uh, they're, a, they're a fuzz less than wild, but they're still wild, if that makes sense. So uh, it says that this carbohydrate-laden handout, aka feeding a duck bread, can lead to malnutrition because ducks become less motivated to pursue the aquatic plants and invertebrates that they would normally eat and can even hamper the growth and development of ducklings. In severe cases, young ducklings may become so malnourished that they develop an, an incurable condition called angel wing, which renders them unable to fly. Uh, and uh, to make matters worse, regular, feeding, regular feedings will likely attract more birds who are then in uh, closer contact with one another and likely to be aggressive as well as likely past diseases eating that you know what okay i i feel like they're reaching on that one i'm not i'm not an expert guys but i feel like uh attracting more birds and getting them in closer contact and passing the diseases uh guys these are migratory waterfowl I, I mean keep that in mind uh the reason we put out large spreads is because we want large flocks birds of a feather i mean birds are gonna be around birds Unless you're more of a solitary species like a hawk or an eagle or whatever, I get it. But uh, migratory birds, they they flock together. So, anywho, eating mostly bread can also lead to severe tuberculosis-like lung infection called, holy cow, I don't know how to say that, aspergillosis. We'll go with that. Which can wipe out uh, whole flocks of birds. If you must feed the ducks... Consider a moderate amount of something with more nutritional value, like a like uh, defrosted frozen corn kernels, uh, defrosted peas, lettuce, halved halved grapes, uh, bird seed, or earthworms. Be sure, do not feed them anything moldy. Okay, sounds like a deal. But uh, oh my gosh, this is the crazy stuff I've I've learned, guys. It's it's just ridiculous. Uh, like, for example, uh, have you guys ever seen um, ducks preening or, or any waterfowl preening themselves? Um, I didn't know this, but ducks actually have an oil gland uh, towards their tail that they uh, will. It produces oil that they use to make to keep their feathers uh, waterproof. And they use it during preening when they're when they're kind of, you know, piecing their feathers back together and, and you know, tidying up their feathers. Um, but, uh, I didn't know that, um, I didn't really know that's what they were doing. I knew there had to be something to it, but I didn't know that they actually had an oil gland for that. So there's a little interesting thing. Um, another thing too, though, like, I, I mean, this is, this is pretty common if you're, if you're used to waterfowl, they do go through a molt phase and, um, Shortly after nesting, males and females change out all their feathers, including flight feathers, which can be uh, dangerous as it prevents their primary mode of escape um, and whatnot. So uh, another tidbit on that, if there is a relocation effort for uh, any waterfowl species, uh, one thing that, um, you know, your conservation, uh, your whatever your state conservation agency is, uh, Department of Natural Resources, Fish and Game, whatever they may be. Uh, if they do have uh, have to relocate or even band uh, birds, uh, a lot of times they will do this during the molt period where the uh, birds are basically growing new feathers and unable to fly. Uh, 
it's an ingenious way of doing it really i mean i don't know how else you would manage doing that without hurting birds um but so during the that molt period um if there's a relocation effort or a banding effort like i said um it's really easy to corral these birds much like you would livestock or anything like that you know you set up a set up some sort of funnel with a fence or something like that and then have a little bit of a, a corral in the back where you can you know actually you know the the end of the funnel you know have it closed off and then have a corral type area where you can actually shut the gate and keep them enclosed um i actually participated here uh not too long ago this past spring in a relocation effort and um it's pretty interesting guys because you know um if i understand that during that period they can't fly um and the young'uns can't fly yet uh the juvenile birds can't fly yet so um it, it's pretty crazy to be walking geese up to this uh this pen essentially um and and not seeing them try to fly i mean some of them do flap their wings a little bit but they 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 just can't they can't achieve lift <laughs> so a uh, little tidbit of information for you uh for you guys there um, I, I do, I do want to encourage anyone out there. Um, if you have a chance to participate in a banding, uh, banding opportunity or helping out with banding or helping out with relocation, uh, absolutely go do it because it's, um, it's a really cool opportunity to get close up to waterfowl that are alive and, um, to, to really just see them up close, you know, it's, um, if you're an animal lover, like, like me, I love wildlife, but, uh, I thought it was just, it was extremely interesting to see these animals up close. And yeah, there's a few that, uh, did have some bands in there. So that was kind of cool to see. And, uh, it, it was just, it was so interesting because there's so much detail to, I mean, yes, you do see it when you go out and hunt wildlife, uh, you hunt game, you do see the animal up close, you know, once you've retrieved it and, uh, processing and all that, but it's a very different experience to see them uh, alive, well, and healthy uh, without that hunting portion involved. And uh, it, it's really cool. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I look forward to uh, participating in more of those in the future. But um, anywho, um, I know the uh, the information here was a little bit here, there, everywhere. It wasn't very polished or refined in any way, shape, or form. But then again, neither am I. I'm only human. I, uh, I make my mistakes. I know that for sure. But... Um, really just kind of general vague information nothing too crazy and uh hopefully hopefully the goal was to inspire somebody to uh dive in crazy like me and look into uh the biology and the life and patterns and behavior of the wildlife that you are uh, either interested in or hunting or whatever it may be because there's a, there's so much to learn guys and uh i think i think and this is just me personally but i think that uh if you truly want to respect the game and the game being the quarry the animal you're pursuing or hunting if you really want to respect them um one way you can do that is to learn more about them uh to really study them understand them as best you can and along with you know an ethical an ethical kill and um you know proper dispatching and and proper uh i guess uh butchery whatever you want to call it um using using what you kill uh for food that kind of thing it, it just goes along those lines for me um learn about 
the species that you are uh, after. And uh, through that, I think you'll have a new respect for said species. And uh, like I said, I know it's brief. I know it's kind of here, there, everywhere. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, more information to come, and I will definitely catch you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you're liking the podcast so far. If you guys could do me a massive favor, I would greatly appreciate it. Check out Hastings Outdoors on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Like, share, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. And stay tuned for more Hastings Outdoors content. Thanks for listening.